What we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode from the WW Radio Archives. I am Lou Mangello, and this is show number 738. And each week, ish, I'm gonna select an evergreen episode of the show to share that maybe you haven't heard before or one you haven't heard in a long time, from interviews to top tens, relevant reviews and guides and Wayback Machines. It's a great way to visit and revisit some of our favorite episodes, including some of the ones that you have suggested that I share from the archives. And as I do with all the archive shows, rather than upload the entire episode, I'm going to take out the relevant segment or segments, cutting out the intro and outro and contests and some of the out-of-date maybe news and rumors, If you want to hear the full episode, I'll let you know the original show number so you can always go back into your podcast player or feed and listen to the full episode. So on our last episode from the archives, I purposely chose to share one that included our friend Jim Corcus. And as I shared on that last archive show, as well as in the WW Radio Clubhouse, um, Jim was hospitalized with stage four cancer. And I've been in touch with him and and visiting him on a weekly basis and and helping him with some of his personal affairs and maybe even sneaking in some of his favorite foods like Arby's and dark chocolate. Um, But this week it is with the most heaviest of hearts that I share that our friend Jim um, unexpectedly passed on July 28th. Um, I shared in the clubhouse details about my conversations with Jim and his brother, um, as well as some of the last visits I had with Jim just a week prior to his passing. Um, I had a long conversation with his brother about him and his wishes and his gratitude and his love for you um, that gave him such joy knowing that you appreciated him and um, his work. This was um, very much a, a shock in terms of the timing, but I take great comfort um, knowing that he didn't suffer physically or mentally and and he is in a much better place Um, and I really want to thank you for not only listening to Jim's voice over the years on the show but coming to meet him at some of our uh, WW Radio events and purchasing and sharing reviews on his more than 30 incredible books on Disney history and most importantly letting him know that he was loved and appreciated. Um, He never wanted or asked for much. And I think knowing that he made people happy was for him his greatest rewards. And to anyone and everyone who helped with his GoFundMe to uh, assist with his hospital and rehab bills, uh, please know that Jim was grateful to the point of tears. And I think it was less about the money than it sort of being this tangible reminder of just letting him know how much he was loved. And I actually, I had bought and and I'd set up a laptop for Jim while he was in the hospital so he could check email and check the GoFundMe. And I know how much he enjoyed being able to see the outpouring of love and comments and stories and messages. And I like to think that even in his last days, it brought him great joy and, um, comfort. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, maybe we don't know how much we're loved. And and I want to believe that Jim 
finally did. So thank you what you did uh, to and for Jim. Um, please keep him in your thoughts, in your prayers, and, and smile knowing that he is uh, somewhere better sharing a chili with Walt and a meal with his departed parents. So I know he loved and missed very, very deeply. I will miss Jim incredibly, not just here on the show, but um, the friendship that he and I shared. Um, to me and many others, Jim is and always will be a true Disney legend. And this week, I wanted to once again offer up an episode as a tribute and honor to Jim. Um, and timing being everything, I chose one to connect to my conversation with hoop doo performer Rob Lott on show 737. Uh, because back on show 376, back in 2014, Jim and I looked at the history of the hoop doo musical review as we celebrated the 40th anniversary of the longest-running show, not just in Walt Disney World, but in all of American musical theater. So... We're going to look back on how the show got started, why it almost never came to be, and why it still remains so fun and popular. Of course, due to the incredible cast and crew like Rob Lott. Uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about the Hoopty Doo mu musical review. Have you ever done it before? Is it something on your bucket list? Is it something that you do every time that you go? You can share your thoughts over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 to share your story, not just about the hoopty doo but if you want to share a thought or memory or a favorite episode from and with Jim Corcus, I'd love to hear that and play it on the show as well. But for now, sit back Relax and enjoy this week's episode from the archives on the WW Radio Show. Believe it or not, arguably Walt Disney World's most popular and longest running attractions has been seen by millions of guests over many, many decades, yet it's still unknown or overlooked by many visitors. But this week, after serving countless helpings of fried chicken and strawberry shortcake and lots of corny jokes and laughs, the Hoopty Doo Musical Review celebrates its 40th anniversary at Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort at Walt Disney World. And I thought, what better way to celebrate than to take a look back at the show with a man that knows a thing or two about Walt Disney World history and fried chicken. He is author, historian, and all-around nice guy. He is my friend, Mr. Jim Corcus. Hoop-dee-doo, hoop-dee-doo. <laughs> it, 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 Lou, it's just been too long. It's just been too long. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm glad uh, you've invited me back on the, the podcast. I always love uh, doing that, always love uh, uh, talking with you about uh, Walt Disney World uh, history, and uh, you've got some of the nicest listeners uh, uh, in the world. So it, it's, it's always a, a great joy to share that information with them, because I know they, they love that, and they go out and they share those stories with other people. And that is what it's all about. It's paying it forward and, and making people understand and appreciate the parks and the resorts even more. And, you know, that's the thing that I was saying in the introduction, Jim. It's kind of interesting that the most popular show, right? And we say the most popular show because they've done more than 37,000 performances over at Pioneer Hall. 
It's mm-hmm. usually a sellout three times a night, and more than 10.5 million guests have seen it, right? So it's one of the longest continually running shows in American theater history, if not the longest. But interestingly enough, the most popular show at Walt Disney World doesn't feature Anna, Elsa, Mickey, or any of the <laughs> Fab Five, and so many people haven't seen it. And you know, before we get into sort of the history and how it came to be, I just think it's fascinating that when we talk about Hoopty Doo, there's so many people say, "Oh, you know, I've been meaning to do it. I, I, yeah, maybe one of these days," and they haven't had a chance to go see it. Well, you know, uh, it doesn't feature Anna and Elsa yet, but <laughs> but with plans to change. Uh, uh, Walt Disney World to Anna and Elsa Frozen World, you know, that will eventually reach out to there. But but again, uh, you know, as you say, you know, every show is, is, is packed. It's so, it's so popular. But I think because it's located out there at Fort Wilderness and it's located out there at the, the far end of Fort Wilderness, that it, that it sometimes makes it a challenge uh, for Disney guests uh, to work their way out there, and then, of course, to work their way uh, uh, back to whatever their resort is or whatever after, uh, you know, that, that final show. But, yes, my, my gosh, y- you know, the original plans for Pioneer Hall uh, was uh, they were going to do nature lectures while people were eating, and they were going to show uh, true-life adventure films, you know, uh, uh, up uh, up on a big screen on on that stage there because the stage uh, wasn't designed for performing the, the the stage was pretty much concrete which was a huge problem because when you're a dancer you want to dance on wood that you know has some give or else you know you wreck out your knee so uh, you know after a few years of performing there they changed it to a wood floor but originally that wasn't going to be the home of uh, uh, the hoopty doo show that that was going to be lectures and films and I think it was uh, uh, Card Walker uh, who uh, took a look and he says I don't want to sit there and eat and hear somebody talk about nature so, uh, they well, I think wait, before, before we go on, I think it, it made sense, right? The original idea made sense. Fort Wilderness was supposed to be that place that was very different. It was all about campsites, it was about nature. So, to have you know, camp like nature programs and animal films and sort of that mm-hmm. town hall meeting place for people to get together and play games and grab their food and have a place to sort of congregate and eat. Made sense, right, over at Fort Wilderness to, to do for breakfast and lunch and then sort of, you know, gather around at dinner time. But Card Walker, you're, you're right. It, it wasn't just about not wanting to do that, but it's also about maximizing revenue, right? You're not going to make a ton of money just having people getting together and playing games. No, and, 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 and actually money is going out. Money is going out to those lecturers. Money is going out, you know, to – uh, to rent those, uh, even though they're Disney films, it's a different division. So you have to pay the different division for the use of those uh, films. Just like uh, when uh, uh, the hotels are running cartoons on the TV sets, it's not like, oh, well, Disney gets those for free. No, that's a different division. That's a different department. They have to get uh, compensation for for the use of that. But, but I, I think that happens at Disney all the time, that there's a, a difference between, well, this is ideal and this works with the theme and and all all of this, and uh, 
but in real life, the guest wants something else, you know? And so, uh, and of course, Pioneer Hall wasn't even there when um, Fort Wilderness opened in, in, uh, in 71. Uh, Crockett uh, Tavern was. Crockett Tavern, in fact, was, was covered from head to toe with uh, Davy Crockett uh, stuff. I, I don't think people know Davy Crockett <laughs> nowadays. Um, uh, certainly my nephew doesn't, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Pioneer Hall uh, didn't come around until um, uh, 74, April 74, uh, it, it was, uh, uh, built and it was built, um, out of, uh, uh, pine, but they didn't use Florida pine. I think they went somewhere like Montana, Montana or whatever. Right. And they to, went to, to right. That. Right. The and, logs came uh, from Montana and the stones came from North Carolina because the pines in Florida just wasn't, weren't tall enough. Look how, look how smart you are. <laughs> look how smart you are showing off for those, those folks listening uh, uh, to that. You're absolutely right, right of course. And, um, again, that's another example of Disney wanting to do it right. You know, uh, we want to, especially in those days, you know, especially with the opening of uh, uh, the Walt Disney World vacation resort there, the whole idea was we want to do this right. We want to build something that is going to last, you know, not something that's going to be, you know, let's go on the cheap and, you know, a year from now we'll come back and patch this up if we need to patch this up, whatever. Let's do it right in the first place. Well, and, the, the, and the, the model proved itself, too, already because over at the Polynesian, they had the luau, which was selling out, right? They're turning guests away, right. so they realize people want something to do at night. They clearly need something else to do at night other than just going into the theme parks. Right, right. And, 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 and especially in those days when we're talking 71 to 75, um, and 75, by the way, was supposed to be the uh, uh, beginning and end of the second phase of uh, Walt Disney World. You know, you couldn't get everything into Walt Disney World when it opened in 71. And so there was a second phase that was supposed to be completed around 75. That's why you're getting Space Mountain and all that uh, uh, around that area. But, yeah, there was, there was no place to go. There was no place to go even... Um, uh, downtown Orlando, you know, uh, Church Street Station and, and those uh, uh, nightclubs and bars and saloons didn't develop until uh, much later. So there was really not much uh, uh, to do, you know, at, at night at all, you know. You, you see the fireworks and that's it. We're closed. <laughs> <laughs> Walt Disney World is closed. Go, go home and sleep. <laughs> the Moose out know? front should have told you the, the, park, the parks are closed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But you're right. People wanted; they were looking for something to do, and clearly there was a there was very very low hanging fruit in terms of a revenue stream for a, a, a dinner show that they could do not just once a night but multiple times a night. And that's why he, you know, Card Walker goes to Bob Janney and says, "You need to come up with some kind of show for this hall." You know, although it it is clearly not the the design is not conducive for a live show. You figure out what you're going to do and work around the balcony and the pillars and things like that and get something in there ASAP. And, and, and you know, you're, you're right on the money uh, that uh, one of the things that they used as, as a model was that uh, uh, luau show um, uh, out there at the Polynesian, you know, where you mix the entertainment 
with, you know, food. And so you're increasing your revenue cost. You know, even if it's all you can eat, there's only so much you can eat. You know, uh, I, I, I love going to, to sweet tomatoes and it's all you can eat. And, you know, after a t- after a while, you can't you get to the point where you say, I can't have anything more. I can't even have a wafer thin mint. <laughs> you know, the, 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 uh, the first time I uh, went on the uh, Disney cruise, the Disney magic, you know, I took a look and my gosh, yes, it's. It's all, and I thought, this is going to be one. And I'm sitting there, and I'm stuffed to the gills, and I'm looking at these homemade fresh donuts, and there's no more room, and it's like, I can't have it Just so you know, there's, Jim, no, there's, more no, I can't there's no time limit unless the restaurant closes. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so again, they use the Luau show as, as, as a format, and again, uh, Disney... Uh, you know, the, uh, bringing in uh, uh, college kids is, uh, was one of the um, uh, big things that Walt Disney World started, and then later, you know, Disneyland picked up on that. And, and you brought out um, uh, college kids, and, uh, you know, they, they could get uh, a school credit for attending and all that. And the, the most popular program in, in the uh, uh, 70s was uh, entertainment. You know, you, you bring out kids who have these aspirations to be entertainers, whether it's, you know, a singer or a dancer or playing a musical instrument, uh, whatever. And, and so Disney was offering during the summer only, you know, during that break from college, you could come out and uh, Disney would basically um, show you how they do it. So uh, Kids of the Kingdom... Uh, was going on, and I miss the Kids of the Kingdom show. I love the Kids of the Kingdom show at Disneyland. I I loved it at 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 Walt Disney World. I wish they would uh, bring that back. It was it was based on uh, Up with People, but it was the Disney version of that, and it was just like you cannot leave that show without feeling you know enriched and encouraged, and you know. Um, so they would bring the college kids out. They would stick them in, into that show. They would stick them into the uh, marching band. There were some other entertainment opportunities, but basically there weren't the the richness of shows that we have today at at, at Walt Disney World. But uh, uh, basically, at the at the time, there weren't a lot of opportunities. So, oh my gosh, we need a show here. We need it quickly. Let's just. Let's just have the kids do it. Let's well, right, because you, you need a show, you need it quickly, but oh, by the way, there's no money for casting. So mm-hmm. get what you can from what we have in here already. Right, because again, you know, there weren't a lot of people, especially when we're talking 71 to 75, Orlando didn't have a talent pool to pull from, like you had in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, if you needed a performer, if you needed a musician, you could get one within 20 minutes. You know, but out in in Orlando, you didn't have uh, that huge pool of entertainment professionals that you could pull from if you decided you were going to do a a new show. You know, you'd have to go around the country and audition, or you'd have to offer people in uh, Los Angeles a contract and then relocate them and pay for the relocation uh, expenses, you know, to get them out here. So, oh my gosh, we've got these these kids and, and... Listen, I've I've seen very talented uh, college performing uh, uh, people, and so 
you know, we're going to to pull from that. So so you have the Pioneer Hall opening in um, April of 74, and then you're having the Hoop-de-Doo Review uh, opening in uh, June of 74. Well, the interesting thing, too, about these students that they have to pull from these kids that thought they were going to be there just for summer performers like Kids of the Kingdom, uh, mm-hmm. they got 600 applications, right? 600 applications for six slots, two yes. comics, two singers, two dancers, right? Six mm-hmm. bits, Dolly, Jim Handy, Flora Long, Johnny Ringo, and Claire DeLune for a show that you said, like you said, was coming up in April, uh, you know, in a space that was not necessarily meant for a dinner show. So it had all these sort of things working against it, right? You've got to get it in there in a space not meant for it, using kids that were not coming in for this. We've got no budget. And then when it does finally open, Jim, the first night, like, it did not do well at all. Like, there were no. six tables. Worth, like, there was literally, like, one table per member of the cast. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was. It did not start off well and, and start off actually very slow before it really had some time to catch on well, well again it's it's word of mouth because again it as i said it, it it's in an extreme out of the uh, usual pathway location nobody's heard about this uh before and and again you're paying um a a, a premium price you well, know compared with uh well if i want to eat i can get a hamburger over here for you know Less, why am I paying extra for for this here? Well, I think the, the the problem originally wasn't that because obviously now you see the show, like I said, is selling out. You know, three times a night. Mm-hmm. The problem was they had no budget to market it. Right? People again, we we think, oh, it's just Disney. It's just one big pot. They'll clearly they'll advertise a show that they're introducing on property. Gary Goddard, who was the director, literally was printing flyers and going to hotels and handing them out and going to the concierge to let them know and promote this show because he had no budget to advertise it. And it doesn't sort of make sense. I'd I'd forgotten that entirely. Yes, that's very true. That's absolutely true. So it's almost like one of those Mickey Rooney movies, you know. Let's put on a show, you know. <laughs> Let's put on a show, and and we'll go out and we'll get everybody in the neighborhood, and we'll we'll go door to door and let them know it's there. Unlike the producers, which was meant to be a flop, this one actually ended up, you know, doing well, and it and it and it changed a little bit, right? Originally, it was going to be called the Whoop de Doo, like the Whoop de Doo review, and then they change it to the Hoop de Doo. But you know, they brought and, on, and, and 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 I think even earlier than that, it, it was it was even a simpler title, like the Pioneer Hall Show or something like that. You know, b- before um, uh, you got that got that in there. You know, w- once you get the uh, you know uh, a lyricist and musician in there like Tom Adair. Uh, you know, who'd uh, created uh, a lot of songs for Disney, especially like for the Mickey Mouse Club and all that, you know, and uh, he's the one who who comes up with uh, uh, Hoop Dee Doo, which was a uh, polka. It, it's it's not an old West song, you know. It, it, and it's, it's not, not a Disney song, <laughs> right? People think it's a, everybody thought it was a Disney well, song, and it's uh, not. Well, see, again, that that's one of those situations where it was so popular that people thought it, it's got to be in public domain, you know, just like the Happy Birthday song. It's so popular. It, it was written in uh, uh, 1950 by uh, Milton DeLug, uh, who I met personally on the gong show because he was the musical <laughs> director of the gong show. Uh, Milton DeLug, the band with a thug. 
and nicest guy you know in the world and 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 we talked because my brothers and I went on as uh, uh singing dancing hunchbacks uh the quasimodo belairs quasimodo do you know who's going to win the third race no but i got a hunch but we did some singing as well so we got to talk with Milton Delug because he says do you want the band to play along do you want it a cappella whatever but uh he had a huge rich uh career so in 1950 he does Hoop-de-Doo Review, and he teams up with uh, Frank Lesser, who, uh, oh gosh, what, what a terrific uh, uh, lyricist and musician, wrote the songs for uh, Guys and Dolls, among other, other things. And so they get together, and they, they put together this little uh, polka, and they take it to Perry Como, who was a very popular singer in the 50s, and Perry Como literally says, I hate this. <laughs> this is stupid. He literally says that. It made but, me but sick. But he's under contract. It made me sick. He, 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 he's under contract, needs to have a, a, a song, you know, to, to fill the B-side of a record. And so he records it, and by gosh, it goes up into the top ten. In fact, it's so popular in 1950 that it's not only recorded by Perry Como, it's recorded by uh, K-Star and Doris Day, and both of their versions go up to the top ten. And then Milton DeLug uh, releases a version that goes up, you know. So people, there's some, you know, as soon as we say hoop de doo I bet people listening to this podcast are already singing it, <laughs> you know, or singing it in their mind. It's like a it's like one of those it's a small world songs, you know, that that stick in there. But they should but, go and listen. They should actually go because you can find it obviously on, on YouTube. Go and listen to the original Perry Como version. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did. I went and I went back and I listened to the Perry Como version. So And I'm an old man. I liked it. You know, I liked it. It doesn't have sort of the same type of feel and energy that the one that we were used to at Walt right. Disney World did. But again, knowing Perry Como, I mean, and I can see at the time in the fifties how and why that song would have been so incredibly popular. Well, well, actually, it became more popular after the Perry Como version, simply because yes, if you if you do it at the right pace, it's uh, Milton Delug. One of the instruments he played was an accordion, so he wrote it for an accordion. It's it's a polka, so you play it at Oktoberfest, you know, things like that, and boop 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 boop. And, and, and it just, you know, uh, gets you going. And, you know, he never even knew that they were using the song. And, and Disney at the time thought they had gotten the, the clearances uh, uh, and, and all for, uh, for this. And, in fact, Milton DeLug, the first time he heard, the first time he saw the show was a, um, a Disney cast member who was very interested in uh, uh, music. And I won't mention the the man's name here, uh, took him to see Hoop D Do Review because Milton had never seen it. He saw it, absolutely loved it. Didn't even worry that, you know, he wasn't getting paid royalties or whatever, you know, he, he was well enough off. However, Milton was not the only person involved with the song. Frank Lesser was. Now, Frank Lesser had passed away, you know, quite a while before um, Hoop D Do Review even, you know, uh, premiered, but his estate was very, very um, um, protective. Protective. <laughs> that's a, that's a good word. Very, very protective. 
And so when Milton DeLug got back and he was talking to people from the Frank Lesser, he said, oh, yeah, they're using that out there, and it's a bunch of kids, and it's wonderful and all of that. Then the Lesser uh, uh, estate, you know, the, the people who own the rights to the song, in 2009, 2010, sued Disney. And they wanted money for every single performance that had been done. And it was pointed out that Lesser only wrote the lyrics, and they had changed the lyrics of the song for um, uh, the show. And apparently that made it even worse, because then the Lesser estate said, well, not only are you using our song, but you have made changes to it without, you know, authorization. And oh my gosh, you know. And so, um, and I'm sure Disney was probably saying, "Well, we changed it enough to that it rises to the ranks of a parody." Not to sort yes. of get into the to the legal logistics of it, but in but, trying but, to but, think but, as a recovering lawyer, the lesser, right? The lesser uh, estate responded by, "You can't use parody as a defense because it's like Mad Magazine. If Mad Magazine, you know, uses a likeness of." Marlon Brando for a parody of The Godfather, or or they, uh, in in some of their uh, uh, movie parodies, they go uh, uh, they write lyrics and they say sing this to the tune of you know Old Man River or whatever. Uh, they're only doing that once. You have been using this continually for decades. <laughs> So, you know, that goes beyond the defense. A parody is sort of like a one-time thing, you know, or maybe two or three times if you, you know, but but you go beyond that, you can't. And so, uh, again, Disney brought out that, you know, uh, the clearances that they had had, you know, from from the 70s, but apparently those clearances really didn't cover this particular situation. And uh, so, of course, all of this got settled out of court because Disney likes to do that because if you go to court, it then becomes public record. And not only does it become public record, but it sets a precedent. Well, you know all of this law stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I went to law school for a few years. I, uh, yeah, you're right. And, you know, clearly it, you want it, it's one of those things that, okay, it is what it is, and they need to move on. So in 2011, the, the song changes. And people, of course, you know, were, were nostalgics, were sentimentalists. We're so sad that it went because for us, you know, it was like taking It's a Small World out of It's a Small World. Like that was a song well, associated well, it, with it it. it. it would be like rewriting the Mickey Mouse March, you know, In, instead of saying who's the leader of the club. Now, now you go, the club leader is, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Wait, no, it's who's the leader of the club. But, but yeah, so basically what they did is they, you know, Rewrote lyrics, rewrote a, rewrote a song, and, and the song is good and professional, but, you know, I will tell you, you, you walk out of that show and you are not humming that song. Right. But when you walked out of Hoop-dee-doo Review and they had Hoop-dee-doo, Hoop-dee-doo, you know, you, you, were, you were being raucous and uh, uh, dancing around right. and, was you know, waving your handkerchief over your head, you know, because they had taken your napkin away, you know, so... Uh, so anyway, it, I'm glad that it got resolved so that the show continues, but I am sad that, you know, the uh, original Hoop-dee-doo show uh, song, uh, the polka there, doesn't exist. But, but again, that gets back to that point 
that the show was going to be called all sorts of things until they they picked uh, that song hoop de doo and and that seemed to be the the magic key you know boy we've got that that's what we're going to call this even though this has nothing to do with the old west <laughs> well i <laughs> you think, know it, i think what they were doing you know and you know if we're going back to this time in the early 70s where they're saying look you guys have to sort of put the show together on a shoestring budget, get these you know, kids together. I'm sure to a certain degree, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants, right? They're trying things yeah. out. They're trying different jokes. They're trying different scripts. And, and, probably and again, not going, right, it probably isn't WDD saying this is what you exactly need to do and this is how you have to stick to it. It was sort of the Wild West in terms of what they were trying out. Well, well and, and again, too, it was this is a show that's just supposed to last for the summer. Basically, it's uh, the the summer program was a three month program. They had uh, more or less one week worth of rehearsal, and then eleven weeks of, of performances, and then that was going to be it. The show was over, you know. And then next year we'll come up with something else, you know. Th- this is a, a fun little. We talked about this before the podcast started. That that often happens is is you put in something that's only supposed to be a placeholder, only supposed to be there for a short time. And then the audience falls in in love with it. Uh, my my brother was responsible for uh, helping write and direct the Pocahontas show uh, for uh, Disney Animal Kingdom, and he went into that project knowing that that show was just supposed to be a placeholder to fill that location as a last minute thing for about three months, and then they had plans to put in something more permanent. Well. Audiences loved Pocahontas show. It lasted for about a decade there, you know? And so the same thing happened with Hoop-dee-doo Review. You know, well, we don't have to look at all of this too closely. We don't have to analyze this and agonize about this because it's only a summer show, you know? And at the end of the show, the cast is going away, you know? Uh, so, So this is a nice little experiment, and we'll learn from this, and we'll go on. Go on to do something else, and and as you said, it started off rough. It started off rough, but just the just the energy, just the the whole thing, tapped into something for audiences, and so at the end of the summer, they're looking at these college kids, and they're saying, "Do you think you could stay?" And maybe, and and the kids are going. We got to go back to college. We got to graduate from college. Our mom and dad want us to graduate from college. We can't do this. And so they had to look for a uh, permanent professional cast at, at, at that particular uh, uh, point. And yes, you're right. It, it's uh, 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 three sets of two couples. And uh, a friend of mine, Alan Brune, who I went to Occidental College with, uh, was the director of that show for about six, seven years. And he said the way he looked at it is uh, one set of couples, uh, you know, uh, uh, were uh, heartmates, and uh, another set were soulmates, but uh, Dolly and Six Bits were primates. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says that's why the show works is because people get caught up with those three sets of, of, of couples there. He, he, he says, you know, because there's not a lot of uh, meat, there's not a lot of narrative there. What, you, what you're doing is you're immediately falling in love with either one set of those couples or, or all three of them. 
and you're following their story of of the relationship, and and that's that's the glue that's holding that all together there. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Yeah, and and so and and so you yeah you've got uh, uh, one set of couples that are the singers, one set of couple that are the dancers, and one set of couples that are the uh, uh, comic relief. You know, so and in fact the uh, original Dolly. Uh, the original college girl who played Dolly went on to greater things. Do you, uh, did your research pull up what happened to her? She's still there. She, I, I think she's still yeah, the she, executive she's director. In, in charge of entertainment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can build a, a Disney career, you know, uh, uh, from doing that. But, you know, the one thing, too, we were talking about how the show almost never was, right, and almost went away very quickly. I'm sure they mm-hmm. were probably saying to themselves, if this thing doesn't pick up quickly, we're doomed, right? We're out of here. Right. We've got no budget. We've got nobody coming to fill. We've got to, like, you know, pay these people. But then, you know, whether it was the music, whether it was something about it, it hooked on very quickly, and I think it got popular very quickly, so much so that they thought about saying, okay, well, wait a minute, we've got something here. We need to expand. We need to do something even more. And they realized that this building that was built not for this type of show wasn't going to suffice. They had actually considered creating an outdoor stage for it. Again, going back to this idea of being outside at Fort Wilderness mm-hmm. at the campground. So Gary Goddard and, and Dorothea Redmond did some concept art for this full-sized Western street where a stagecoach would have come out and it would have been live horses there and you could have had a show of like 1,500 people with chorus girls and gun battles and stuntmen like you used to have over in Frontierland and they would have had this restaurant called the Deadwood Steakhouse, a big mm-hmm. opener. Like, I hear that and I really dig that idea and and am sad to see that it almost didn't become something I, I, the Piner Hall is great because it's a, it's somewhat intimate, especially if you're on the, the, the lower level. But you think about what it would have been like to almost have a theatrical, you know, stage show, uh, you know, that was uh, on a much grander scale. Well, but, but again, what, what one of the things that killed that idea, of course, was the Luau show. Because the Luau show was now having challenges with weather. Right. You know, when you did the show... Because yeah, originally the Luau show was open, you know, you you looked out and and you saw the the blackness of the the lagoon behind you. That that was one of the uh, reasons for that uh, electrical show out on the the lagoon was to create a backdrop for the Luau show, more or less, because it was it was dark and all that. But my gosh, if it started to rain or if it started to get cold, and 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 we do experience winter in Florida. You you get about two weeks of winter, but it's non-consecutive. It's non-consecutive days, but you do get two weeks worth of winter. But or like what we're experiencing right now, which is like, you know, eleven o'clock at night. It's eighty-nine degrees or ninety degrees, and there's the humidity and all that. So that was one of the things that killed the outdoor show, but. I'm I'm with you. I would have loved to to have seen that. But again, that also in, involved a significant, um, yeah, financial uh, investment, and uh, uh, some of the uh, accountaneers, uh, you know, at Team Disney take a look and they go, "Well, it's working right now. <laughs> Are we going to get significantly that much more money?" If we invest, you know, 
up up to this point. Yeah, because you know, yeah, Pioneer Hall really wasn't designed for that. You know, you had the those pillars inside there. The the sight lines are not uh, uh, as great as um, uh, you would like. You, you know, they uh, originally they were going to extend those balconies until you know entertainment goes. Look, if you extend the balconies, the people in the back are not going to be able to see the stage. You know, uh, if you do a tier thing, well, no, that's going to cost too much. We can't do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, the funny thing is, is as you say, this is the longest running uh, musical show here in in America, and uh, which again I regret because I grew up out in California and I'd go see the Golden Horseshoe Review, and for uh, at one point in history that was the longest running, you know, musical show in in America. Um, Wally Bogue. I still miss Wally Bogue. But um, anyway, the the whole thing is, is it works in a place that really it has no, logically, it shouldn't work at all. Right. And it not only has it worked, but it really has worked for 40 years and they haven't really changed very much at all, right? So we talked about the song being changed the old apple pie hoedown changed yeah, in 1939. The dessert, the, the dessert has changed. Right, you go from yeah. apple pie to strawberry shortcake. And then other than that, the only thing they don't do that they used to do is used to be able to they encourage you to get up on your chair and wave your napkins. Now, obviously, for safety concerns, the lawyers must have stepped in and said, well, the, the, the same way that, that Walt would uh, um, allow people to just uh, sit up on stage, top of a stagecoach at Disneyland in 1955, and if you take a look, they just have a little step ladder that they put up to get people to climb up there and to climb off. I, I, I just recently saw a picture where they had a cast member, and he had one foot on the, the side of uh, the stagecoach and one on the wheel so that the wheel wouldn't move <laughs> as people were getting off this step ladder. So life has changed considerably. Yeah, well, you and, and you're not riding donkeys. You're not riding live donkeys around the parks. That, 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 but, that would take a bite at you if they were irritated. <laughs> well, and it's and funny. If I, if I was a donkey working at Disneyland and people were on my back, I'd get irritated too. But it's funny too. We're talking about sort of changes in terms of what has gone away because you can't have people standing on chairs and potentially falling down. And I get that, right? Do you want to sort of? I I, I I do. I, I get that in, in entirely. But yes. they they, they and, will. And, and especially today, I think people are more likely to fall off of a chair than than, than they would in in uh, in the seventies or even eighties. I, I think people, especially at Disney, uh, pay less attention. Yeah, and, and look, you know, beer and wine and sangria is served there to the adults, and, and <laughs> beer and wine sangria and standing on chairs waving napkins with a chicken wing in your hand is does not is not the recipe for, for success. <laughs> but taking that out of the equation, you know, the only other sort of small changes that have really happened is, and I think that this is still there, the last time I was there, one of the characters went into timeout. Which yeah, for, I, I, that was never something that existed back when I was a kid. That's I think is a relatively new thing. So like I saw that, and I think too, somebody told me that they now have brought in a uh, a, a verse or, or a, a parody of "Do You Want to Build a Snowman?" into mm. in there recently too. So I need to go back. See, so Anna and Elsa have invaded. See, you know, um, Hoopty Doo was so popular. How popular was it, Jim? It was so popular, and, and, and you're just a tadpole, so you probably don't remember this. 
But um, out here in Orlando, it inspired other dinner theaters. Um, and and I, I, th- I think some of your uh, listeners uh, might be of a, a comparable age here, so they might remember this. But in Orlando, they used to have Fort Liberty and King Henry's Feast. And, and these were run by um, uh, the same organization that did uh, uh, Legends in Concert, you know, where you have Elvis impersonators and Lou Mangiello impersonators and things like that on, on a stage. But, but basically, uh, in, uh, I think it's around 86, uh, they opened King Henry's Feast on International Drive, and so it was a castle. It, it, it's where Olive Garden is today, if, if people are familiar with that. But you would go in, and there would be this huge... Um, so it was like a semicircular theater, and in, in the center, you would have knights battling, and you had King Henry up there at the top, and, and he would uh, actually pick a queen or a princess or something from the audience, and you had the tables, and it was all you could eat, and you could, you could uh, see this. And... That was so successful that in 87, out on 192, uh, I always called it the Fort Liberty Dinner Theater. Actually, it was Wild Bill's Dinner Theater, and the, the whole complex there was called Fort Liberty. But it was the same thing. You had, it, it was in the round. You had a center stage, and, and you had a Wild West show, but again, it would stop, and those people on the outer uh, circle there you know, would get served all-you-can-eat stuff. And this would go on. And, and those shows were so popular, but, and they would still be running today. They both closed um, around 2000 uh, because the Legends in Concert thing went bankrupt. So it took those other two theaters with them. But there are other theaters today in Orlando, and I know you're probably one of those people, Lou, who don't go to anywhere except on Disney property. I have friends who come out to visit from California, and they will not go eat at um, Crossroads because it is not Disney property. <laughs> I, I, I said, it's, it's just down the street from downtown Disney. I'll come pick you up. No, it's not Disney property. I, I do I, eat I outside of Disney only- property, but I think some people – you know what it is, Jim? I think – and this is a, a separate conversation, but I think when people come to Walt Disney World to vacation yes. here, they're coming here. They want to be inside – the bubble, the cocoon, the blanket of the the warm, comforting blanket of Disney because they know what kind of experience they're going to have here. They want to be immersed in it the entire time they're here. So if they feel like they're going out to a chain restaurant at Crossroads or iDrive, they are now taking themselves out of the experience that they've waited and saved so much for. So I, I do get that because well, I was very much uh, like uh, that. Too. Thank you, Michael Eisner. Thank <laughs> you, Michael. No, because that was Michael Eisner's argument. He says that's why we're building Pleasure Island is because guests really don't want to leave here to go to those wonderful restaurants and and saloons and bars uh, on Church Street Station. So we're going to build the Disney version of that here at Pleasure Island. And and that was part of the concept of Animal Kingdom, too. People don't want to leave here to go to Bush Gardens, so we'll have an animal ex- live animal experience right here. And and I, I think there is some um, uh, logic to that and some justification to that, and also the fact that at Disney you know you'll be safer and it'll be cleaner and it'll be a more... Um, controlled experience. And you, but look, there's you, still dinner theaters out in, in Orlando. You know, there's Capone's, 
which is, is done up, you know, as 1920s gangsters, and you have to knock on a, a door and give a password in order to be go, and you can get spaghetti and all that. And then there's the um, uh, the pirates uh, dinner theater, you know. Right, but but, uh, but but what I consistently hear, <clears throat> excuse me, is and look, I, I'm a fan first, and and I'm thinking about how, especially when I did not live here, and even now that I do, you'll go to something like that, you may try it out, and you'll be like, it was nice, but it's not Disney. You'll try you another, go. you'll try another cruise line, but you're gonna come back and go, you know what? It wasn't Disney. I didn't get the same experience that I had there. So why am I gonna even bother? I still haven't, obviously. I haven't seen and done it all at Disney because not everybody has seen the hoopty do yet. And I think that goes – I think that clearly illustrates the point as to why this show, right? How has it had such longevity without changing hardly anything for more than 40 years? Because yeah. it embodies everything that is Disney, right? It's that fun, family-friendly, great entertainment, interactive kind of thing, hour and a half, lots of fun. It's safe. Good food, good value, and you come out smiling. Not and and, and and I think one of the things that you touched on, which which I agree with completely, family friendly. You know, and 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 I think the Hoop to Do uh, review show uh, appeals to all ages of guests, but I think young kids enjoy it just as much, even if it's on a different level. You know. I, I know that uh, sometimes you can take young kids to uh, uh, because again I, I'm an uncle I've had I've had nieces I've had uh, nephews I've got a young uh, nephew right now that uh, uh, I take uh, places and I know that they can be very particular but uh, I think one of the the uh, virtues of hoopty do is they get the young kids involved in that whole experience. Right, and my kid, I went with my family just a couple of months ago because my kids wanted to go because we love going to Fort Wilderness. We we go there sometimes during the holidays, especially, and we'll go eat at Trails End and and get a golf cart and drive around. and, and I'm a big fan, and they wanted to see Hoopty Do, and they loved it. They sat. I was watching them more than I was watching the show, and they sat there with their mouths agape, and they were smiling, and they were laughing, and they're singing. And I'm like, that's it. Like this is why we come here. Because but, but, of that. but your son and daughter are like twenty six and thirty now, aren't they? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> they I think they're my daughter. Or yeah. they just act that age, they just, right? Yeah. But and look, you know, so to sort of you know wrap things up, I think that's what it is. It's about fun family entertainment. You get all you can eat chicken and ribs and the cornbreads and the and, food. And, and the, the chicken is delicious. The last time I was there and I had had the chicken. It, I, I think it's some of the best fried chicken on on Disney property there. Yeah, and they also have the you know the other thing too. Disney uh, adapting to uh, requests and special needs. They also have like grilled salmon and squash and vegetables. Like for if you want some healthier food as well, they've got three shows a night: four, six, fifteen, and eight thirty. You can also choose different seating options, whether you want a floor or balcony. And they'll run from about $56 to $66 for adults, $29 to $35 for Which kids. really is reasonable for, for the amount of entertainment you're getting and the amount of food that you're getting. I, 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 think, I think, you know, that's, that's not an outrageous price. Right. Think about what it takes to take your family out to dinner and go to a movie, you know, especially if you want to go see something like in 3D. You're going to be paying the same thing. It's an hour and a half. I think you could actually make it a longer evening by going down to Fort Wilderness early, 
wandering around, looking at the barn, looking at the uh, you know the, the 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 pictures of Walt and the horses. Actually, if you go and listen back to show number three sixty two. Everything you ever wanted to know about Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground. We really talk about the things to do there that every guest is welcome to come and do and explore and enjoy. Then you can go and check out the, the show. The lawnmower tree has been removed. I know. I know. The lawnmower was sort of uh, – <laughs> things that last 40 years or so, uh, the, the poor lawnmower was out in the elements for too long. But you can now, make a, now, now it, 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 in full disclosure, you need to share with the audience. Have you ever been pulled up on stage as a volunteer or any of your family pulled up as a volunteer? I have not. I have not. Well, I, 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 th- I, think, that, I, I think that should be a, a challenge to the uh, performers at uh, Hoop-de-Doo that the next time you know that Lou Mangello is in the house, he needs to be pulled up there. I'll have to I, go to uh, Category 3. and get, Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Even if you're up in the balconies, they can still uh, they can still take you and pull you down. And that's what I love, Jim, is that the performers, when they do mix in with the audience, they do go up to the balconies too. So mm-hmm. everybody gets the same type of show. Um it is definitely something I think that everybody should do and check out at least once. I would love to hear from the people who are listening. Have you been to Hoopty Doo? If so, what do you think? If you haven't, why not? And hopefully, has this podcast or have what you heard about Hoopty Doo? And, and I'd love to hear from people who uh, saw Hoopty Doo back there in the seventies uh, uh, and eighties and have seen it now. And if you know what the what they see in terms of any changes at all, because like you. I don't, other than, you know, of course, the, the main song there, I don't see anything really that significant. I, I, I think, I'm sure there's been some lines that have been changed over the years and all that, but it, it works as a good, solid show. And, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I think it's a happy show. So, you know, you go out and, and you feel satisfied. You, you feel full not only in terms of um, what you've eaten, but full in terms of, of that emotional thing of yes, I had I had a good time and and I I feel satisfied. I feel that you know I I got a beginning, middle, and an end. <laughs> uh, and and I think the end is that you come out smiling. And I think mm-hmm. that's and that is why. And I think the people there are people who are listening who do go often because I think it does have to a certain degree an adventurous club like following and, and you know sort of people that continually go they like they know every word they know what's coming next they know every line but they love going because of the type of experience they have connections with the characters and the performers and it is sort of where they call home right it's that place that you know what you're going to get every time you go and that's why they go back and, every and, time and those who are frequent visitors where's the best place to sit you know, I, 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 wherever I've sat, I, I don't feel that there's a bad seat in, in, no. in the house there. At, at least for me, I, I've enjoyed every place I've sat. But is there a better place to sit? There you go. So okay. you, if you want to, uh, if you want to book it online, you could book it 180 days out by calling 407 WDW Dine. And after you book your uh, trip to the Hoopty Doo Musical Re- Review and Fort Wilderness Resort and Camp Gown, please go to wdwradio.com. There you can comment on this week's podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts there. You could also tweet me or go to Facebook. I know Jim will be watching the comments as well. And in the show notes, you will also find links to all of Jim Corcus's. A library of books where he's got oh so many. And, and, and in fact, here's a, here's an announcement for uh, uh, WDW Radio listeners. Coming out in October, Vault of Walt, 
Volume 3. So make sure you put that on your Christmas list to put in your Christmas stocking, along with Lou's book, uh, 102 Things. And uh, also check out uh, ThemeParkPress.com, which has a lot of great uh, uh, Disney books for your Christmas shopping. There you go. And hopefully we will see you, Jim Corcus, at the Hoopty Doo and uh, and back on the show and, soon. And, and you know, Lou, if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. Yeah.